if you're a small child or very immature, this would be the time when uh, Michael just went downstairs as I said this. This would be the time where you go downstairs to go to children's church. I, I, if you want to come up and do the sermon, I'll head on out. I, I may have said that to the wrong person. Uh, I, <laughs> give it time, I'm sure it'll happen. Um, so, uh, little kids head for children's church, and uh, I guess we'll pray and we'll, we'll start the message this morning. Um, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you would uh, help us to, to keep an eye on you, Lord, that, that as I uh, dig into the scriptures, as I um, try to try to bring out the great treasures that you've given us in, in your word, Lord, that, that I'd be faithful, that I would point toward you over and over again, Lord, and that um, in all things you'd be glorified. I pray that uh, you would give us, uh, give us extra wisdom and an extra helping of your spirit as we hear the word today, that, that folks would hear from you and know you better and draw into your presence and, and uh, walk with you and, and uh, help them to come to know you. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you'd that you'd not let me say dumb things, Lord, that I wouldn't step over the message, that I wouldn't be inaccurate, that I wouldn't misrepresent you, Lord, but that I would point to you over and over again, that, that I, would, I would be clear in the word of God. Um, I pray that you would just, just help me to not, not mess up preaching the gospel, Lord, in his name. Amen. All right, I am going to... So I, uh, this week's sermon's an odd one. Um, I had planned this message about uh, about a month ago, and I decided to do the whole series. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm going to do James." And and then as I uh, as I was preparing, I said, "Well, James will have to be the last sermon in the series." And I, I say this: I'm doing something important right now. We've had recording trouble lately. I want to make absolutely sure I get this recorded because uh, two weeks ago, Anne called me and asked me to explain this passage in James, and I, I was supposed to talk to her, and I forgot, and then it turned out that it was the next sermon in the series, except she's in nursery today, and so I got to make sure that it is absolutely definitely recorded um, to make certain that I can I can not have to repeat myself, um, <laughs> so that is what I am trying to do at the moment, uh, not that I am, all right, work, I, it looks like it's recording, there we go, okay. Um, one of the things that I, I worry very much about as a parent um, is as I watch my kids, and I, some, some other folks here might relate to this, as I watch my kids do things, I, I worry that I'll rescue them too much. You know what I mean? Like it, it is an easy thing to watch your kids struggle and to say, oh, let me help you. And, and then like what happens is they never deal with struggling and they never learn to do it. Does that make sense? It's, it's sometimes better to fail than it is to succeed, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? But failure can be something that feeds you and drives you forward better than anything else. Um, and so, like, I, I always feel like a crummy dad will go to the park and Titus will try and climb up onto the top of the jungle gym. And he's, you know, eight feet off the ground and he starts struggling and he starts, yeah, dad. And I'm like, don't worry, you got it, buddy. You know, and, and, and I, you know, you just keep going. Nope, you got to try harder. It's a long fall. Don't, you know, and, and, I, and I make him do it. And I, I'm sure he'll work it out in therapy later. Um, but, but facing hardship and facing difficulty 
and honestly screwing up and, and sometimes failing morally and being punished for it and all of it is good for you. Can we agree on that? Um, and, and this, oh, you are here. I don't even have to record. All right. Uh, <laughs> all of that effort, you could have said something. Um, I <laughs> so, um, like, we, we as, as people, we face difficulties, and it's part, of, it's part of how God grows us, honestly. And that is not the only reason hard, difficult things happen. But as we dive into this last sermon in this series, we've been talking about hardship in life and facing difficulty and over, you know, like, like why do bad things happen? Why do we go four months without rainy, rain during the, the, the harvest? And why do we, you know, and we looked at Job and we looked at the Psalms and we looked at Romans and we've kind of worked through a bunch of different passages and there's no like easy answer and I'm trying hard not to give easy answers. But as we come up on James, this is as close to an easy answer as you're going to get. Um, and it's actually not as easy as all that. So um, we're in James 1 this week, and we're going to learn a little bit about how God um, parents, uh, which is not, again, not an easy topic. Um, so far, we've, we've talked about the idea of, of the, that it's not wrong to mourn, and it's not wrong to struggle, and it's not wrong to cry out to God. It's not wrong to hurt. Um, but that the cure to that is running back to God's like history with us and remembering the great things God has done and being reassured in that. That was the first one. And we talked about how, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, God did this because blank. And we just have no idea, right? Like we're, we're talking out of our ear. We have, you know, we're speaking without wisdom because that's what Job and his friends do. And eventually God shows up and says, you know what? You're all wrong. You know, like you're all darkening my counsel is the way he says it. You're, you're bringing darkness into my counsel because like, you're, you're all dumb. Not y'all, Job's friends, um, and Job, coincidentally. Um, and, and so as we come up on this one, this is what we've talked about. Um, they're all difficult messages. They're all difficult topics. Uh, this is the book of James. It's a collection of teaching. It's kind of a, a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount is the best way I've heard it described. Um, it was written to a lot of different churches, probably mostly Jewish Christians, Right. That's important because there's a bunch of assumptions that are built into this passage we're going to look at today that are super Jewish. And without those things, you lose a lot, right? And it becomes a very difficult set of, like, scriptures to understand. Um, these are people who are poor. These are people who are oppressed, like, uh, who are receiving difficult treatment from their neighbors because they're Christians. Um, to give you some context, this was uh, during a time when the Jewish prayer books, the prayers they would read in church on Sunday— began to condemn Christians as a part of their prayer. So like the Jews would go to synagogue with, uh, with the Christians would go to synagogue with the Jews and the, 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 they would stand up and they would say, oh Lord, you know, please strike down everybody who follows Jesus. <laughs> you know, kind of an awkward thing to have happen in church. Um, and I mean, this is a hard time for these folks. It was, it was a time when you could be ostracized, when your family could disown you. I mean, it was, you could lose your possessions. It was a difficult time to be a, a believer in Jesus. And so James is writing this letter. It's one of the earliest New Testament letters. Um, he's writing this letter to kind of address a bunch of topics and to provide commentary. Um, there's a lot of Jewish thought in this. Um, the, the New Testament is very contextual. There's a lot of background information that helps us understand it, like, better. And so, like, you're going to get a little bit of that this week. Uh, two to four. This is chapter one, two to four. Count it all joy, my brothers. Now, we're going to do this bit by bit. Count it all joy. That all joy is a funny phrase. 
a lot of times it's translated pure joy, right? And what he's saying there is, like, he's saying, like, complete or overflowing or perfect joy. So, like, consider it, like, as you, you know, as you approach these things, my brothers, understand this is perfected joy. This is something to really celebrate and to overflow with happiness about. When you meet trials of various kinds. Um, all right. Trials there is a, uh, is a neutral term, right? It's neither good nor bad. It implies testing, right? I, uh, I, I find farm talk kind of dull. I mean, like, I, I don't know anything about farming. You know, you'll talk about yield and spray and, you know, it's even worse when you get into technical terms. You could make stuff up I wouldn't know, right? I mean, you could literally, and you should do that sometime. When you're having a farm conversation, I'm standing there glazed over. You should just throw stuff out that's completely fictional and see how long it takes me to catch on. Um, but one of my favorite conversations, uh, like from farmers, is when they talk about putting equipment in situations where it gets stuck. And then they like, you know, well, and that's when we brought out the half track. That's a real thing, right? No, it's not. <laughs> that's when we brought out the big butt. I know that's a real thing. And we brought out the 10,000-pound the cable, and we dragged it out of the mud. And everybody's, yeah, you know, that's cool. I, because, like, there's sort of a, a degree that you'll push stuff, right? Like a testing to see what it can do, right? Like every teenager with a car understands this concept. Um, when, when we face the, like, like when he says trials of various kinds, he's referring to testing or something that will push you to a limit, um, in an effort to see how much you can accomplish. Um, I, you might compare it to a, to a race. Like if you go out and compete in the Olympics, that would be a trial, right? Or, um, or what have you. It's easy to, to read that and not catch that meaning, um, because what it, what it's talking about and part of what it's putting here is um, when we face difficulty, when we face trial, um, part of the purpose of trial is to determine, right? To test your mettle, to see what you can do or what you can accomplish or how far you can go in the face of all of this. Um, and that's not an easy idea, is it? It's really not. Um, I don't want God to put me in situations where I have to work hard. I want him to carry me, right? That sometimes, have you ever taken your kids for a walk? I swear we get a half a block away and they're dying. Oh, carry me. Please carry me. I can't walk any further. We can still see the house. You know, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Um but, but it's, you know, he's talking about facing trials. This is kind of what he's getting into, right? And it's sometimes the attitude we have um, of various kinds. So you know that the testing of your faith, there's that word testing, uh, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Um, so this testing of our faith, this puts, putting us in situations where we have to stretch and grow, and where we face difficulty and where we, we carry extra weight or where we have to rely on God or trust God to take us through it, um, none of which is easy, right? Um, particularly if we get corrected. But we'll get to that in a second. Hold on. Let's, um, it, it teaches us steadfastness. It teaches us the ability to persevere. Um, Michael and I, I'm gonna, can I pick on you? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> We, we go to the gym at three days of the week, right? 
and we run. Um, and and I, I remember it's been fun running with Michael because the first time we ran, it was it, it, it was labor, right? I mean, I, I would I've seen women give birth, and that's about how hard Michael was breathing and how much pain he was in. <laughs> but but Michael outruns me some days now, right? Um, part of that is because I'm really old. But like like we in fact we talked about it this week how much of a difference going out three four times a week and running makes and how well you run like four months later, that makes sense doesn't it? Um, or or lifting weights is kind of the same way like you know we we went out and we started doing this and amazingly enough four weeks or four months later like Michael's stronger, right? Yeah oh wow you actually I could see it from here. Well let me put my mic. <laughs> um, but the point is, listen, the point is, it's, it's, um, the point is, as we face hardship, as we face trial, it forces us to develop, like, the ability to have some spiritual strength, right? I rely on God when I have to rely on God, right? If God puts me in a position where I have to lean on him, I learn to lean on him. When God puts me in a position where I have to trust him to come through, I have to trust him to come through. And actually, sometimes when I'm in a position where it's a disaster and everything hurts and it's miserable, I still have to figure out how to make sense of that and lean on God in those moments. That's hard. Can I get an amen out of that? I, it's true. I actually, you know what, um, one of the, the most uh, impactful things I've experienced this year, I talked to about, about 15 different people who told me about praying for rain 15 years ago. And like how God came through miraculously. And and then, you know, they're going to do that this year. And it didn't really rain as much, you know, and we didn't get that this year. And there's a reality that, like, and I've been contemplating this. Sometimes we pray for rain and God comes through in big ways. And sometimes God doesn't. And, and like, that's a hard, I mean, that's a hard reality, isn't it? Does that mean that we prayed wrong? I don't think it does. I think what it means is sometimes God allows us to go through difficult things because it provides us this opportunity to grow up. Um, sometimes Titus has to fall down, and sometimes he has to cry because he's not going to be a man if he doesn't. It's true, right? Um, there's actually two or three spots, one in the Psalms and then one later on where Paul, Paul talks about it where it says, you know what, if God disciplines you, you should be happy because God only disciplines the ones he loves, right? I, I used to say that to kids at the children's home when I would get after them about breaking rules, and they would say, well, you just hate me. That's why you're bothering me. And it's like, no, if I hated you, I'd ignore you. It takes a lot more work for me to tell you what to do and to convince you to, like, act right and not be violent. You know, that's a lot of work. It's much easier for me to do nothing. It is, right? When God allows us to grow spiritually, that's a sign he loves us. That's awful, isn't it? But you know what I realized with me, and I don't know, I'm not talking about anybody else as a parent. With me, when I watch my child struggle and I give them a way out, half the time I do it for myself. Isn't it true? Because then I don't have to watch them suffer. You know, Abby will get in trouble and she'll, I, I, this is my example from this week. She had a tantrum in the morning, and, and it was a long, ongoing tantrum. I love you, sweetheart. Um, she's even cute when she has tantrums. Um, I'm not used to her being in here when I tell stories about her. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, and, and my wife put her foot down and said, you know what, honey? 
as punishment for your behavior this morning, you don't get a dessert with your lunch today. So everything with sugar came out of her lunch. And then it was like the end of the world. That, that was the day I went and had lunch with her at the school, and I, I had a cookie, and I'm not eating sugar. And so I looked at her, and I said, well, honey, I'm going to give you this cookie. Ooh. And it felt pretty good being the one who saved her from a sugarless existence. Did I teach her a good lesson? Not at all. But I felt good. At the end of the day, I, I believe that God suffers with us when we suffer. I believe he weeps with us when he weeps, and I believe he rejoices with us when we rejoice. But at the end of the day, like, when he lets us suffer, I think he does it for a reason. Actually, that's what James is saying here. When you go through this, you perfect your faith. Now, this has been misunderstood over the years, this per perfect faith, or it perfects you. And we want to be clear about what this is talking about. It perfects us in the sense that it makes us into what we're supposed to be, right? Um, I have, in my driveway, I have a, a Toyota 4Runner, which is like the perfect example of what a car ought to be. Now, if I had a Dodge next to it, that Dodge would be a perfect example of, like, an imperfect car. Um, does that mean my 4Runner never breaks down? No, it just means that, like, like this is the ideal car and this isn't. Um, being perfected in our faith, I'm kidding. I, being perfected in our faith refers to becoming what God intended us to be by the standard that God has set, right? So, like, I'm perfected in faith when I turn to him when I struggle. I'm perfected in faith when I face hardship and it fills me with joy because I say, you know what? This is a chance to grow up. This is a chance to learn. Does that mean I don't cry? Nope, right? It's okay to mourn. But at the same time, we can mourn and say, you know what? This is an opportunity. This difficulty is a chance to grow up. This difficulty is a chance to be something more. Um, some of the most profound thinkers I've ever met, some of the deepest people I've ever met, some of the folks of like, like like amazing faith that I've encountered in my life have had hard times. And in those hard times, they've been shaped and reshaped and created into something better. Um, and that's what James is talking about here. Um, is it easy? No. How many of y'all, like when a bad thing happens, like the first thing you say is, thank God I'm facing this. Not so much, right? It, it's not it's not our natural bent at all. Um, it is a byproduct of God intervening and changing us. Um, we can mourn, but we also celebrate. We we can be hurt, but we also rejoice because God is making us better. Um, that's been actually one of the best things about being a pastor is watching folks grow up in hardship. Um, watching folks become deep and substantial. And watching them, like, develop a trust and a yearning for God that wasn't there before. Um, like, that is the, I mean, honestly, I, I, you should try it sometime. Just, like, watching it from the outside. It's wonderful. Um, I'm taking way too much time here to get through my verses. So, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, um, I, I mentioned Job. And, you know, who darkens my counsel, right? Job spoke without wisdom. Job said, well, God is mistreating me, and it's not fair, right? And Job's, like, buddies, they all spoke without wisdom. They just talked and talked and talked, and there was no substance or, or value, like, to what God was really thinking. Um, if you lack wisdom, so you look at this situation and say, I do not understand how God can be in this. I do not understand how God can work in this. I do not understand what God is doing, and because of that, I am, like, 
in despair. James's answer, right, because this is in context, is go and talk to God. Ask him to help you have wisdom, help you understand, help you see the world from his point of view, and he will give it to you. And he'll give it to you without sparing because that is like the way God is. God gives generously. If my daughter ever, she hasn't done this yet, if my children, let's, I'm gonna, sorry, honey. If my children ever come to a point where they say, Dad, I don't understand why I got in trouble for that. I love that because I can sit down and say, well, honey, this is the way the world works. And this is what I'm trying to teach you, right? And this is what you're trying to get out of it, right? Does that mean that every difficult thing is like God punishing us? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Sometimes it is, right? I, I remember I met a kid who came out of, he'd been in jail for six months. He was a drug dealer who like beat another kid with a baseball bat and went to jail for six months and came out. Well, it wasn't fair that God put me to jail for six months. Like, it sounds like mostly that was you, you know, and, and God just sort of let you have what you, you know, what you needed. It's not really a punishment. That's a blessing. That's an opportunity to learn. Um, but we don't see it that way sometimes. But punishment is a part of it. Another part of it is helping us grow. And another part of it is just, is that we face temptation. And another part of it is like that we're attacked from outside because, you know, there is this undercurrent here that Satan attacks us and trips us up and tries to destroy us. But the common theme in all of it is as we face it, we turn to God and we celebrate that God is giving us an opportunity. Um, by the way, and this is a thing I just realized as I was writing this sermon, usually when I look at this, all I think about is cancer or money problems or uh, problems in my marriage or, I mean, because that sounds about right, right? Part of this is temptation. And I realize I almost never back up and say, God, will you please take attractive women off the TV so I won't be tempted anymore? Like, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm, but you all get what I'm saying, right? Like, how often is it that we back up and say, God, just please take all this temptation away from me. God, please, you know, take the temptation to spend money I don't have on a new car away from me. Please help me not be tempted with this. God, please help me to just not be tempted with losing my temper because I always have to be right when it comes to my wife. Anybody else have that problem? Is it just me? Anybody else mourn the fact that you're always right and it's really hard to deal with your wife because you're always right? No. <laughs> Y'all are way more spiritual than me. Uh, but the point is, he's talking about difficulty, right? But he's also talking about temptation. Um, and I think it's a, as you, you know, I think it's a hard thing, but we should reach a point where we hunger for holiness to a degree that temptation becomes something we genuinely mourn. And honestly, like, I, I, I wish I was more spiritual. There are some days I say, you know what, I, I want to I, I wanna trust God more than I trust, you know, my income. You know, I, I mean, I want to trust God more than I trust my own effort. I want to trust God more than I trust. And that's hard, isn't it? Like, this temptation to lean on everything but him is easy. You know, the temptation to lust after stuff or money or whatever, it is easy. Um. But part of what God sends or what comes in our path is that um, it, it's a weird thing as I've been dieting. I, uh, I realized that if I cheat on my diet for two days, it's easier to cheat for a third day. Does anybody else know that? When I years ago when I quit smoking, if I if I broke down and had a cigarette and then I had another one, and I had another one. The more I had, the harder it was to quit again. Funny how that is. Um, 
the reality is the longer we go and resist temptation, the more buildup we have to resist temptation and the more perfect in it we become. But it is a byproduct of working those muscles, right? Like, like developing that spiritual strength. It is a byproduct. All of this, so James is telling us, listen, hard things are difficult and they're awful and they're miserable. Um, but the reality is that like, if you realize what they are and you put them into context, God can give you the wisdom to understand them in context and he can give you strength to make you perfect through it. Um, a lot of times it's hard things that make us better rather than easy things, right? But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, now here's the first Jewishy thing that's built into this, right? Um, I read this and I say doubt of any form, right? I think, oh, I'm going to trust God in this moment, but what if he doesn't come through, right? Or, hey, how do I balance out this difficulty in the scriptures? Like, how do I make that work? That's not what he's talking about with doubt. Actually, if you go listen to the first sermon in the series, it's online. You can listen to it. Um, the psalm that we looked at, the psalmist, like he doubts through three quarters of the song. Actually, if you read David, David doubts a lot. If you read, I mean, doubt is a part of being human, and that's not the kind of doubt that he's talking about. How do you know that, Eric? Because the word is doubt. Because in context, he uses the phrase double-minded man, right? In popular Jewish culture, this was a thing at the time where they talked about double-tongued or double-faced. You know that one, right? Two-faced? Anybody know someone that's two-faced? Don't point. Um, he says, listen, as you ask for God to give you wisdom, as you go to him and ask to talk to him, do it in a way that isn't two-faced. Be who you are with God, and that's it. Because it is easy to say, God, I want this, but then, you know, turn around and live a different life, right? I, I did that for years. God will not honor that. Like, it's just not how it works. He's saying, do not be double-minded with God. Do not be, like, like two-faced with God. Deal with God as who he is. Deal with God honestly. And I'm going to tell you what. Like, this is the truth. I got a friend who complains about this all the time, and it is a reality that, like, like it's an unhealthy thing in the life of the church. Um, don't pretend to be someone else to the people around you in church. Like, if these people are your family in Jesus, be who you are with them, right? Because, like, we're supposed to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. In our stumbles, in our struggles, in our angry moments, in our everything, um, the more you pretend, the harder you make it to, like, become better, right? It's okay to lose your temper. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to have a different perspective. It's okay. Like, these things are okay. Um, pretending isn't. I, I have all kinds of temptations in life. I wish I was a better person. I have all kinds of struggles in life. I wish I was a better, like, like follower of Jesus. Um, but in reality, like, like that's that two-faced thing. Like, be who you are with each other. Be the family of God together. Um, all right, I'm going to keep going. One last rabbit trail there. Let me see if I, <laughs> I can actually finish the sermon today. Um, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, there's an important part here, okay? Because James has figured, finished up talking about one topic, which is you face trial, right, and consider it joy and trial helps you grow and everything else. And now he seems to shift gears and, like, jump into a completely different topic because he talks about rich people and poor people. 
And it's easy to back up and say, well, wait a minute, that was abrupt. Like, what are you doing? James had an ADD moment. But in reality, these are connected. And here's why. The lowly brother, i.e. the poor brother, the guy who's got no money, um, let him boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass, a, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. Now, I remember a time in my life when I did not know how I was going to pay my bills. I remember a time in my life when I ate Taco Bell packets with every meal because I couldn't afford, like, better food, right? Um, those are not fun times. Those are times when I relied on God to provide for me. I remember one day I had no money, and I was walking, and I was praying because I was thinking, well, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to, like, buy dinner today. And as I was walking and praying, like, God, please provide for me, a $20 bill rolled in front of me in the wind. Like, <laughs> one of those great moments in life. Well, thanks, God. You know? We'll have to get some Taco Bell packs. Um, but in a real way, and especially in the first century world, being poor was a trial. It was a huge trial. It was, you know, like terrifying. You could starve to death. You could be put in prison and become a slave because you didn't have any money. It was an awful, awful, awful time for poor people, right? And part of what John is, or James is assuming here is that the lowly brother, the poor brother, lives in this trial. And he's saying, listen, as you live making ends meet barely or sometimes not making ends meet, rejoice in the fact that God has given you an opportunity to grow and trust him because it is a blessing in a very real way. Um, however, the rich man, and this is a Jewish thing. Here's the Jewish thought, right? For Jewish thought in the ancient world during this time, it was assumed that the wealthy were two-faced, double-faced like to use the, the more Jewishy kind of version of it, right? And so they would say, well, the wealthy are double-faced. And that came from the fact that, like, this is a rabbinical thing. The rabbis were all poor. They were itinerant teachers and preachers. They would go around and teach, or they would live in a small town, and they would live on the money they made teaching students, like Torah or Talmud or what have you. And, and the wealthy priestly caste were people who came from rich families and paid the Roman government money to run the temple. And they were super corrupt and super awful, and everybody knew it. Nobody could do anything about it. And so when they would talk about, when they would talk about these guys, they would talk about the fact that they were two-faced. Like these, these wealthy like priests were all two-faced, and they were all wicked. And so he starts talking about, listen, lowly brother, like the assumption is wealthy people have a tendency to be two-faced. So they have a tendency to be divided in their loyalty like the priests were. In this case, he's saying, listen, the lowly brother, the poor man, he's forced into a position where he has to rely on God. The wealthy man stands in a position where he doesn't have to trust anything, right? Where he doesn't have to lean on anything. I, I read this week, uh, I was reading a missionary talking about working in different settings, and he said it's, it's weird doing ministry with the poor versus with the wealthy because poor folks, he found, are very much believing that they need to be forgiven for sins, Right? But it takes a lot of work to convince them that God loves them. That makes sense. You go to the wealthy, and the wealthy, the hard thing is convincing them that they need to repent of sins because they're all convinced God loves them no matter what. Like, and it's that hard thing that comes along when you face difficulty, right? Like, like it's a different difficulty that we face. Like, 
in this case, what he's telling you, he's saying, listen, the wealthy, they have this hard time dealing with God because of this. And many of them, they should be happy when they lose their money. He says, listen, if you're wealthy, you should be happy when it goes away. You should be happy when you face trial because in that humiliation, your self-assurance, your rest, your everything is taken away from you and you are forced to wake up to your need for God's like grace in your life. Like you're forced to be in that position. And so when he says, boast in your exaltation, like poor man, be happy because like God is making you perfect. God is using these trials to make you better. Rich man, if you are wealthy and God humiliates you by putting you in times of difficulty and making you struggle and making you stumble and making you like like worry and fear and everything else, be happy in that humiliation because God is using it to make you better. He's taking your security. You remember Linus from the Peanuts? What was his thing? The blanket. And if you took the blanket away, he'd come apart, Right? And that is like, I mean, that is America in a nutshell, right? We have our security blanket, right? And, and like one of our biggest fears is losing our security blanket, our security, our money, our comfort, our everything. And what he's telling you here is, listen, when you lose it, be happy because there's going to be a day that you're just going to stop being. There are men who work their whole lives just trying to be richer and richer and richer, and eventually they're going to die in their pursuit, which is exactly what he says there, right? dying in their pursuits, they're, they're hoes, they're in trouble. Does that mean that the rich man is not a believer? Actually, it doesn't. It's, uh, I read a great thing in Amos. I'm going to share it real quick, like, because this is the interesting parallel, like, uh, the prophet Amos is talking about the wealthy in, in ancient, like, like, Jerusalem, and he says, hear these words, you cows of Bashan, he calls the people cows of Bashan, like the, the wives specifically, I think is actually what he's saying, um, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming when you, when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go through the breaches, each and every one of you straight ahead, you shall be cast into Harmon. What he's saying is, all right, you wealthy people who oppress the poor, and who take advantage of your brothers, and who don't take care of the people around you, and are selfish and self-centered, like all of you folks, there's a day coming when like your city is going to be knocked down, and like folks are going to come in and put you in chains and take you through the holes in the walls of your city, and you will be punished. He's not saying I reject you. Actually, there's still people of Israel. He still loves them, but they're people who are going to face difficulty, and they're going to face difficulty like as a part of being changed and grown, right? Being grown by cast into exile not cool, right? Not something you want to happen. Um, but neither is losing losing out, neither is losing family, neither is struggling, neither is any of this. But that's what James is talking about here. He's saying, listen, rich or poor, when you face difficulty, understand this is how God prepares you. This is part of how God fixes you. This is how God matures you, regardless of where it comes from. If it comes from you screwing up or you being selfish or whatever, like this is how God is changing you. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He says, listen, regardless of rich or poor who you are, understand when you face hardship, when you wake up in the morning and you think, I cannot get out of bed today because the world is so broken, 
Um, if you remain steadfast, meaning you've returned to him over and over again, does that mean you can't mourn? No. Does that mean you can't doubt? No. Does that mean you can't struggle? No. It means that over and over again with single resolve, single faith, not double faith, you go back and you say, God, help me see this from your perspective. Help me to understand that you are with me and I just need to keep trusting in you and relying on you and that you've done good things in the past and you're going to keep doing good things. Make me perfect in this. And that's what God does for us in this. That's the advantage of struggle. Advantage of struggle, that sounds insane. Yep. It's completely nuts, isn't it? It just is. It's nuts because by our world standards, we don't like hardship. In fact, actually, you can tell the difference between a worldly standard and what James is talking about is, like I've talked to so many people who will say, there are millions of people starving to death every day around the world. That's proof that God doesn't exist. And like the worldly perspective is like, you know, oh, people suffer. The world is bad. Everything else, God doesn't exist. James would come out and say, you know what? These are awful things. It's our job to take care of those people. Um, but in reality, God does exist, and he used this for good. Like, he can. He can make us better. Um, but we have to be on that. I'm actually going to end there. Um, I'm not going to finish up the last few verses in this section because um, I'm, I'm kind of pushing it long, and I think that the rest of the thing is going to leave this big point. Guys, as we face hardship, as we face trial, as, as you face illness, as you face everything else, sometimes just God's standing back and saying, I, 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 I'm going to trust you to trust me. I'm going to let you struggle because it's good for you. I'm going to let you stumble because it's good for you. I'm going to let you fight temptation because you need to fight temptation. Is that the answer for all suffering? No. But it is something that we're giving to, to focus on. Like, God loves you. That God loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you. He would go any distance to redeem you from your own, like, sinful nature. But at the end of the day, we have to back up and realize that, like, that means we love him. That means we have a relationship with him. That means we talk to him. That means we're solely his. And that means that that's part of how we grow. Um, and it's hard, right? It's really hard. Um, but that's what we have. He has loved you enough to die for you. He has loved you enough to experience difficulties. He has loved you enough to come back to you over and over again and pick you up and forgive you and make you new every time. Um, he loves you enough not to save you whenever you know from every bump in the road. Um, he loves you enough to save you from every sin you face. Let's close in prayer and I'll let y'all be. It's kind of warm in here, isn't it? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that as we experience hardship, as we experience trial, as we experience just everything, Lord, that we would be grateful to you for, for being the kind of loving father that, that helps us mature, that helps us to become better. Um, and most of all, the kind of loving father who redeems us through the blood of your son. Thank you so much for being that kind of loving God. Um, we praise you in all things and we worship you. And, and Lord God, as we go out of here today, help us to be the kind of people that, that live this out, Lord, that, that rejoice even while we mourn, that find joy even when we struggle and that find you, Lord, where it seems like you aren't. Praise you. Amen. Have a good morning, folks.